Welcome back to the Starts Now, the happy hour of finance and business. My name is Stanley, and on today's episode, I am so excited about this because I have somebody that is a serial entrepreneur, someone that really understands different markets and invested in, in several different markets. This is a great opportunity, so please welcome our guest, Donnell Joseph. Donnell, welcome to the game. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Listen, uh, Donnell has uh, such a lot of experience, especially when it comes to project management. You also have uh, experience with reading contracts, like you're one of the specialists when it comes to that. You also had um, Airbnb, like three of them, I believe, right? Two. Airbnb, yep. Two? Mm -hmm. Two, okay. And on top of that, you turn your credit over into like a 800 and yep, 840 40 something, yeah. yeah. So to me, those are credible leaps, man. But how did you do that? Before we begin, <laughs> right. introduce yourself, um, background and profession. Okay, uh, Darnell Joseph. Background is parents are from the Caribbean. So I was born in 89. Uh, uh, I grew up in um, Brownsville, uh, Brown Brownsville. As you can see, I'm nervous right yeah, now. Yeah, no, <laughs> Brownsville, Brownsville, New York. Uh, went to Catholic school from a young kid. Uh, graduated from Bishop Ford High School in Park Slope. Then went off to went, go to Penn State. Um, studied, started in as an engineer, civil engineer. Didn't work out. Uh, it was a little bit too tough for me in the sense of like certain classes I just couldn't pass. I, mm -hmm. I, I could pass physics with no calculator uh, with the regions. I could do math. It just some chemistry and some uh, some other classes just I couldn't get through. Um, changed my major to security and risk analysis and the story begins from there. Um, that degree helped me propel into all the businesses I am in today. Um, Graduated with a security and risk analysis degree, um, focused in intelligence and analytical modeling. Um, started my uh, first Airbnb in 20, it's like 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. um, this is a couple years after I, I got my first house mm -hmm. um, that I turned my credit around from ever since uh, six, like seventh grade. Um, seventh mom, grade. Yeah, seventh grade. My mom gave me a credit card and was like, don't go crazy with this. Um, at the time, I was into RC cars, <laughs> gas-powered RC cars, and um, she was just like, I'm, I'm tired of giving you money every single time to go buy a new part for your car. Here's a credit card. Don't go crazy. And then she would take it back every time I would go to, go out or go to the store. Um, when I went to college, she gave me the card and said, hey, don't go crazy. Right. Um, and now after college she she found out, i was like oh why what was that all that money i used to give you every week or every month i was like i paid my credit card bill i used to max out the credit card yeah. swipe pay pay it down pay it down mm -hmm. not eat not eat like i'll eat like cricks and like uh ramen until i got sick one night and i was mm -hmm. just like no more ramen after that <laughs> um and I, I would pay off my credit card and from doing that my credit score was in around the 600s um and it and by the time i graduated i was sitting at about a 810 mm -hmm. almost um it did just because of that one credit card. Who taught you that? Uh, no one. Uh, just you know, no one taught me. It just Google searches and okay. um, at the at the time, you know, back in high school, you know, you had Axe Jeeves, you had all these other platforms, yeah, um, Bing and um, what's the other one that people's using Yahoo Yahoo right, Search. Right. So I just researched. I had the library at school. Just kept on trying to find pe other people who were talking about it or just business books that 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 expressed what the things you needed to do and where your credit needs to be like 80% is considered ma anything over 80% is considered maxed out right. so when once i found that out okay all right 
can't go over eighty percent. Made an Excel document, and then I was just like, all right, this is what I'm gonna uh, what I'm gonna do. And to this day, I still use that same Excel document to manage my finances and manage my credit card stuff. Uh, graduated, um, bought my bought my uh, first house uh, year after graduation. Um, at that time, I was working anywhere from. 14 to 16 hour days mm-hmm. and people were like how did you do it i was working 14 to 16 hour days i said that's how i started right, right. because um when i was in my last two years of college i uh, i was able to pay for my last two years of college by driving from new york to from pennsylvania to new york four hours for about a i would say half a semester mm-hmm. um to pay for the college pay for my college debt um, and it, and just you know live in general and people was like oh you're crazy but at the time um, my father was able to get me into a union that my grandfather was in my father was in local right, 147 right. Mm-hmm. Uh, dangerous work but I, it paid well if you knew you you know if you knew what you were doing and I I, I had the intellect to stay safe and not get hurt um, and I would just go leave class on Wednesday Wednesday night drive over take the bus and then I, I would work because it was three shifts so I work um thursday graveyard um friday um swing shift was three to eleven and then saturday i'll come in and i'll work um the morning shift would be seven seven to three and then i would jump in the car or jump on the bus and go right back to penn state again and start all over again and i did that for about a half a year that helped me pay off my um pay that last year start saving up for the house so by the time I graduated, it was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, let me see if I can get a, a job in the market. That didn't work out, so I went back to the the local that was my home in the beginning, mm-hmm. and and I did that, you know, day in and day out, working there, working at my um, cousin's real estate company, and just kept doing those jobs, which was bringing down. I was doing maybe like you could say about four, fourteen, yeah, fourteen to sixteen hours a day, because I would work. 8 a.m. to about 1, go in the city and work from 3 to 11 and do the swing shift. And at, um, what is considered is shaping where you go and you don't know if you're going to work. But if they put you to work, then you're, you're going to be gone. Most of the time, I did go to work from 3 to 11. And if I didn't, then i try to get on Graveyard, which was the 11 to 7. Um, did that, got my first Airbnb, um, purchased it with my family. Um, it was a condo out in Pennsylvania, um, not too far from um, main campus in University Park of Penn State. Um, did that for about six months, and then the condo board said, "Hey, you can't you can't do Airbnb on the on in this um, air, um, condo because it's against the rules." Right, right. Um, no one told me that you know by you know buying a condo certain regulations that had to that came with it. Yeah, you know, I actually should, talked about that where like a lot of people don't know that communities and condominiums they have bylaws mm-hmm. and they have certain corporational agreements that they have to abide by, mm-hmm. and that's part of the rules. And if you don't know it before you go in, then you fall victim. Because you might get an Airbnb or you might get a certain property, but you can't. There's certain restrictions what you can do, and you got to fall within those guidelines. Yes, and my, my limitation was you couldn't have short stays um, less than 30 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I kind of was like, okay, well, um, I got the first, you know, first letter. I was like, well, I'm already invested, so I'm, I'm just gonna do this a little bit longer until. Until I at least get into spring season where I can get renters because I'm not going to have an empty space 
and I and, and I'm paying the mortgage. Right. So I I did Airbnb up until the spring. Um then I got like the third letter and I was like, well, I'm I'm done now because you know, I did my Airbnb football season friend state is great. Um you you can get anywhere from before you pay start paying any of your bills, you're looking at anywhere from a thousand dollars as much as three thousand dollars for a weekend, depending how um put together your Airbnb. Um mine's was a three bedroom, three and a half bath, uh, three story um, townhouse condo um, with a double car garage, um, stainless steel appliances, and it did have a tennis court and a pool on the premises. So I pretty much had everything needed to ask for the most amount of rent. And at that time, Airbnb was still new to the local population because mm-hmm. most people just paid the hotel $500 a night. Right. You know, so did that for about two years. Um, then I got in. Then, then me and my family, I convinced me and my family to get into another property, which was a duplex. Um, it needed work. Um, went in there. The bank owned it, and I was just like, they owned it for about a year. Couldn't move it. I was just like, it's winter time. I was like, mm-hmm. what's what's wrong here? Right, right. So come to find out, every time that they turn on the water, it would just leak everywhere, and people was just like, oh, this house is a lemon. Right, they don't. Right, they didn't right, want it. I was right. like, leak. Not scared of water because right. I, you know, all my years of doing property management, my cousins, I, you know, leaks could be patched, they could be fixed, but the house was pretty much done. So the pro- they were selling the property at about one eighteen, and I told them, you know, with the numbers that I was trying to get at the time was a ten percent return or more. Mm-hmm. I said ninety. Kept them going back and forth about two three weeks, and eventually after about two weeks, they agreed at ninety, um, and eventually put in. Uh, about I would say about twenty thousand dollars into the property to um, uplift it in terms of it had forced air but it didn't have AC it had right, heat right. forced air right. so I I I added gas to the property to both sides because of duplex it was a three bedroom one bath on one side three bedroom one bath on the other side and at the time rent in um, that part of Pennsylvania next to um, Penn State was about. Seven hundred dollars right, um, right, for right. a three bedroom, one bath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I charged, I charged accordingly for that. But now the units were self-contained. The tenants paid for their own heat, own hot water. Um, they had gas, which is cheaper than electric, and they had AC. They needed to put window units in, and they had heat, mm-hmm. heat and AC. So everything was pretty much ready to go for them. So as how I looked at it is when you put a when you put a return when you put an investment like that in a property, you should try and get back a get it back in five years. And, right. and, and, and I, and typically, at least in state college area of center County in Pennsylvania, um, they raise rents three to 5% every year over year. So at 3%, you, you can get back your money. If you, if long as you, you do with the necessary things. Right. Right. Um, now did that, but I still had the Airbnb itch. I wanted to do Airbnb. So got another property. Um, this was a further out from Penn state. Um, but it was right off the exit um, when you're on 80. Um, right. We discussed the, you know, right. 80 yeah, going yeah. to Penn State yeah. um, because you know you get off the GW and you know you're sitting in that car three hours, one hour from you know Jersey to Delaware Water Gap, and then from 309 to 161. You know, right, right, right. you know. So it's um, you get you get there, and to go to Penn State you go left. But to get to my Airbnb, you go right. And I, it was a duplex. Um, one side was empty, needed a lot of work. And the other side had tenants, that long-standing tenants. Didn't, uh, I left the tenants there, asked them if they needed anything over the years to upgrade different things. And um, purchased that. Uh, had it as a three-bedroom, one-bath Airbnb. Did well. No complaints. Um, but wintertime was just rough because 
it was the house was in you know sat on like about an acre of land three quarter mm-hmm. acre of land but other houses was far and wide so like when it got really cold it got really cold, cold yeah yeah so yeah it could get cold yes it can and yeah. and 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 center county is like in a bowl you know happy valley is in a bowl so literally you'll get great weather or you're gonna get dumped with a lot of snow right, right. it's it's night and day when it comes to certain things like that down there over there did that airbnb had that drumming up uh, went into some analytics, like I told you. Found out that adding another bedroom would would increase my my um, my average um, daily revenue, mm. and and just my um, my vacancy would lower. So changed over a dining uh, like an offset dining room on the first floor of the property. Turned that into a bedroom. And as soon as I did that, within a week or two of um, getting people to book, you know, I was being filled more often than than cool. most. So now. We did touch on a few things, but you, you started to go into the four unit properties that you have that's, oh, you, you, you did invest into it within the neighborhood, in a bad neighborhood that you weren't sure how it was going to turn out and then you got the feedback from others and like we discussed, hey, there's no such thing as a bad neighborhood, things start to eventually turn around, right? So what was the outcome with that? The outcome of that was I was able to renovate all the units, um, get in um, tenants, and I was able to uh, change a lot of things in the property. Um, it went from a 40% return to about a 15% return after I, I invested uh, money in the property. But it was the property was producing all by itself. Uh, expenses went down almost 30, 40%. Um, the oil bill used to be um, three thousand dollars for a year, and I got that. I got it ch- changed over to gas, and mm-hmm. it became a six hundred dollar bill throughout the year for gas. So I I put a lot of value into the property. Um, that property was able to sell for about twenty thousand dollars more than than um, all in after everything. So so my my efforts didn't go un, un, unheard by the person who bought it. Yeah, listen. What I failed to mention, and I'm glad you touched on all the other properties that you have with the investment with Airbnb and things like that. But what I failed to mention is where we're at right now. It's another investment that you have going on, which is For Purpose down in Brooklyn, which is a sports bar. As you can see, we we have the the game on, uh, Penn State game on, and he's a fellow a fellow Penn State member. And then we have the crowd downstairs. So this is an interesting environment. And you own, you're a co-owner with this. And what made you transition from doing properties, managing properties, managing tenants, and then decide to say, uh, this business model will work best for me, or I can transition into the restaurant business? Well, I always had a conversation uh, every year. Uh, every, I'll say every couple months, I would have a conversation with my accountant. And he always just said, oh, you have a lot of potential, you have a lot of potential. You're, you're going to be, and I always ask him, like, what, do, what can I do to change my numbers or figure out to make more? Because the properties are finite. You could only make the X amount a month, X amount a year, um, and your, your deductions are X. And I, and, I, and I felt I was pigeonholing myself, and I felt as though I should have been doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, so constant conversations with the accountant and just trying to figure out what was the, what was the next business idea that wouldn't be fine that wouldn't have a ceiling to it um 
I had been talking to one of uh, my one of my brother's friends from high school. We all went to high school with each other, um, Bishop Ford in uh, Park Slope, and we literally um, constant conversations about you know the restaurant industry and the bar and the scene and and how you know what the numbers were and just different things. And I kind of kind of said, all right, well, let me see about putting a team together you know because everyone talks about having a team putting a team together that 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 helps you figure out you know that next level of things that people are not looking at mm -hmm. so we uh i got everybody together and we this space that we're in on the second floor which we use as event space as well as excess eating and drinking space um was an empty shell this whole entire building was condemned for about uh, about two or three years before we end up um signing the lease with the landlord they basically gave us a vanilla box in a sense um where we had you know full reign of customizations and 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 getting the place to be what we needed it to look like and and look and feel uh, nobody else on my team has ever did a build out like this. I've done, you know, full full gut renovations, and I wasn't afraid. My team was afraid of something like this, and I was like, you know, it'll come together. It doesn't look like anything, but it'll come together slowly but surely. You just have to like, you know, throw paint on the wall. If it doesn't work, we'll just change it. Like, you know, if that's something that doesn't work, you'll just change it. We have the the, the ability to change things, at, you know, at a moment's notice. While big corporations, they it's hard to change the ship in different directions because they have to get approved from this person you have to do this is aesthetic this yeah, that yeah. there's a constant thing there's so a, there's a chain of command yes. that you gotta go through yes but are, were you able to do that because you had a certain amount of concession like how long did they give you they gave you to actually renovate and operate the place so the at the landlord gave us six months concession to renovate the place but then COVID hit um, we um, we also was going through a moratorium with gas when Ash Grid Cuomo had was uh, in a problem with National Grid and they weren't trying to give us gas. So we had to have everything as electric and then we had to convert it back over with the architect to gas. It was just a back and forth. So the landlord kind of was stuck in a way that they couldn't really say, all right, well, we're open because we couldn't get past, we couldn't open our doors. We couldn't even get past the you know inspection phase. Mm -hmm. So that that concession ended up turning into a year concession. And then when... when um, we got a liquor license um, ju ju um, July 2nd of 2020. Kind of was like, all right, we got open. You know, and then I had got a phone call about a fire sale for a, um, a, a, a club that was going out of business in Williamsburg. Went over there, bought a lot of their items that made us open up a couple days later, July 5th of 2020. Um, and it kind of was like the pieces made sense. Like anytime we got we, we received we got a problem it was like okay what's the answer who do you need to talk to what politician we need to get get a hold of it was we didn't take a roadblock as it's over it's, it's more about all right how do we pivot we're constantly pivoting pivoting throughout the whole situation mm -hmm. um and we just never gave up to, to try and open up and we are here today almost a year and a couple months mm -hmm. later um, we're show, showcasing the Penn State event um, today. Um, we are a, one of the official Penn State um, bar and restaurants in uh, New York, mm -hmm. the only one in Brooklyn. Um, we are also um, New York City Sports uh, Football Club. We are one of their uh, pub partners, um, trying to ink more relationships with other institutions throughout uh, New York and just um, be a staple in the community. That's awesome, man. Listen, for the people that really didn't understand what concession is, concession is mostly like a period of time that uh, the rent, the landlord gives you to renovate without paying for it. So you're not paying on the property 
but you're still there renovating and developing because at the end of the day, they have to give you at least enough time to build out the project the way you would like so that way you could be able to um, operate and have everything going smoothly, right? Yes. So now that we touched on the property, now let me tell you something. I don't take notes, and I'll share this with everybody in you. I don't take notes, but today I did bring notes because every conversation we had hit me. Right? When I say it hit me, it's like, oh, man, when I play it back, like, well, was said a lot of good things there. And I, this time around, not only did I have questions like that I wrote down that I want to ask you, but I also want to take some notes because there's a lot of things that you're going to be able to share with us and our viewers. Mm -hmm. So one of the things was, especially when it came to this property, right? So you spoke about starting a business. Now, most people, did you have the funding? Did you allocate some of that funding from the Airbnb and the other properties and then decided to open this up? Or did you go ahead and get like a business loan? Because I remember before you answer, I remember you, you said, you shared with me that some banks are not giving out business loans, but then there are a few based off the percentage of earnings or based off whatever criteria there is that they're willing to give you a business loan, but you have to go search for it. Mm -hmm. So you want to elaborate on that? So yes, I can elaborate on that. Um, in regards to the financing, um, when I bought my last property, um, that was completely by myself. I had used, I took out a line of credit on my um, first home. Um, from that line of credit, I was able to invest in this project. Um, and I also had sold that, uh, that, that, that home as well. Um, the, uh, the had, uh, that I, that I, the last property that I, I, I purchased. Um, so I had money to invest in the business, but we also saw that as, because um, I'm the numbers guy in the business, mm -hmm. so, um, I told my team that this is not going to be enough to sustain us going forward. Right. We needed to try and see if we can get a loan. And at the time, there were credit unions that were giving out loans for you know new businesses, startups. But what they did is they tacked on SBA onto the loan in order to back it. And it's just like, in a sense, like Fannie and Freddie Mae, in a sense that mm -hmm. you know it's 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 government guaranteed, and if and if we defaulted, the the, the bank would still be able to get their their uh, money. Um, a bank did give us it. It was it was it, the terms were reasonable. The collateral you have to put up is rough because if you don't have you know properties um, to say, all right, well, if I didn't pay this back, you could take this, or you could, you know, that's that. That was the biggest cha challenge: is saying, you know, putting up your house and saying, you know, if they don't, if they don't, if they don't, um, if we don't perform and we don't pay back the loan, mm -hmm. they're gonna take a house that's probably appreciated well beyond what that that, that you value, took from, uh, yeah. what, you, mm -hmm. what that loan is. Mm -hmm. So yes, I took money, invested in the business, went to the banks. I went to the uh, bank, got the uh, financing to continue the project, to, to buy our appliances, to buy our, um, to buy our um, furniture, all this furniture that, that you see here, TVs, equipment, right. it, it financed that. Yeah. And um, what's the budget on that? What would you say, like, on to, because it depends on spacing, right? Mm -hmm. And how many seatings that you have to require based off the capacity that it can hold. Well, in New York City, um, the, I mean, depending on when we air this, I mean, yeah. the rules change all the time. Um, in order to not breathe, to, to not, like, have to deal with uh, much fire regulations, 
you have to be seated about 70 or so people once you have that once your number is at that now you have to figure out your spacing because with the architect they sit down with you and they go over how much spacing is needed between the tables so okay what size tables so once your architect figures out your spacing it's then you figure out everything else you could have an idea of how many tables you want but if it's not if, if it doesn't pass code or, or what the architect is going to um, send to the city then it's not gonna it's not gonna fly no matter what kind of vision you have you have to be like married to your architect like you're married to your accountant right, right, in order right. to get this project to go forward mm -hmm. and uh, I've heard that like the real process during the whole time even with the concession that and, and the build out that the real time is spent dealing with the architect yes a lot a lot of time is spent um, a, a plus for me is I understand construction I've been um, I've been involved with uh, apartment renovations, house renovations, ever since I was about 16. So, I'm not even 16, I would say 12 years old, sixth grade, about sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, because my family had renovated apartments, I used to paint, I used to get paid like $20 a weekend to do like two days of work, carrying sheetrock, all kind of crazy stuff. But I learned those, those soft skills helped me develop into the person who I am today where I'm able to understand certain things and understand where you could cut, you could cut corners and say, well, we don't need that. You know, like, why well, sheetrock this wall and this is a naturally brick wall? Expose it. Put some polyurethane. You probably saved yourself a few hundred dollars from putting sheetrock on it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's certain things that you don't need to be aesthetically pleasing to a certain look because there's always there's always a look for something you know um you, you know you see on instagram all the time where people do something like oh that's beautiful and, right. and, and it was an old cabinet that all they did was sand it down through some you know paint on it and then boom they sold it for double what it was worth or triple what it was worth right it's right. just you everyone finds value in certain things and you have to find cutting corners is there value in in, in the way you're cutting the corner you know is what is what works for you yes well, yeah that's well, what it is we, we touched on on the collateral part now let's say i'm going in for a business loan and mm -hmm. i don't want to be the guarantor is there another way for me to still get that loan or would i still have to be the guarantor well every situation is going to be different mm -hmm. um it, it it matters on your credit um it matters on how much um your personal financial statement so everyone is different. So if you have a great job, then that may offset and not having the properties or collateral. They may say, all right, well, all right, you make $150,000 a year. Your credit to debt income, the ratio is maybe 20%. You could afford paying this $2,000 a month um, um, payment because you make enough money or your household makes enough money. And then, and then it's just like getting an apartment. You need to, you know, if you're, if everyone on the loan doesn't have the necessary assets, then maybe you need to get find a guarantor that has the necessary assets or has the income that can go partner with you on it. Right. You touched on something else. It's like um, getting a getting a partner to go along with it, right? Or getting somebody to to back you up in a sense. So if you don't have that, if you don't have a great credit, and you don't want to be the guarantor on there, right? Mm -hmm. On, on, on the business loan or the business um, to establish the business credit. Let's say you have a partner, right? They're gonna pull the partner's credit. Whoever has the highest credit, of course, of course they're gonna pull that mm -hmm. one first. So it's kind of hard not being part of the loan if let's say you have, let's say that person has a better credit than you do. Yes, uh, well also, it also matters on your percentage of ownership. So if somebody has 
20% ownership, depending on some banks, depends on it. If they have 20% ownership, they have to be on a loan. If they have a little bit less than 20, some most of the time, or less, less than 10, they don't have to go on a loan. They, 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 they don't consider them as like a, a majority stakeholder or, or a stakeholder that needs to be a part of the loan. So say you brought uh, the idea to the business and you know with that particular bank, when you structure your LLC or your corporation, structure where you're right below that, that threshold where you, you, you know you can't cover the loan, where you don't, there's not a question of I need to be on, but you have just enough skin in the game that you feel as though you're you know, a stakeholder in, in, the, in the situation. Right, because having bad credit could still hurt that person. Yes, it can. You can always add, well, when it comes to properties, for example, you can always add the person on as a deed member. Mm -hmm. right? You can add them to the deed and they still have ownership of the property, even though they don't, they're not on the loan. Yes. I'm sorry. Even though they're not on the loan. Mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. Right. So that, that's one of the things that people are not aware of, of how can I still own a piece of this property, even though I'm not on the actual loan mm -hmm. and that's that's one of the key ways that you can do it you can actually add yourself into the deed so the next thing i want to say is like um and i wrote all these down for specifically for you right now you you, you operate your, your operation and property manager within that can you break down what exactly does managing a property does the person what does they what do they actually do a property manager, it's going to be a therapist, one, it's going to be a therapist because people are going to, um, tenants, um, workers are going to bring you their, you know, their day-to-day, -day, their problems, what they're going through, and that's going to affect, you know, how they, you know, what work they want to get done in the apartment or if they're going to be able to pay their rent. So you have to be um, open to listening to people, you know, venting about their kids or saying how they lost their job or they, you know, just came back from a funeral. And that's going to affect, that relationship is going to affect how to go about dealing with people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, because at the end of the day, you want them to have a great living experience, but you also want them to be able to pay, afford that living experience because that's what pays you and that's what pays the bills. Um, so it's, it's, it's definitely a challenging job and not many people could do it, only because I've seen over the years people take that baggage home with them where they're stressed out, you know, the bills are not being paid, the, say the tenant closed, slammed the door in their face, they got spit, spit on. Mm -hmm. it, 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 takes a, uh, it takes a special kind of person to deal with that day-to-day um, -day, mm -hmm. um, in, in, in regards to that. Um, can, you, can you tie that in with Airbnb, like being a property manager for Airbnb? So Airbnb, same kind of same kind of situation. You're 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 not a therapist in a sense that you have to you have to think about all the ways that people can mess up your Airbnb, right? Or they would find fault in your Airbnb because you you have this one impression to get it right, or you know the review is not gonna you're not gonna be a super host anymore. Right. So you have to make sure that the coffee's on point. You got the right coffee. You got milk. You got eggs. You got the pans. You got to make sure everything is clean because some people come in Airbnb they look through everything. It's like oh there was some dust on the on the top of the cabinet. What are you doing on the top of the cabinet? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I've seen crazy views like oh well the bathroom had um. I remember one person said like the bathroom had a streak on the uh, a streak on the mirror. Right. I was like streak on the mirror. Like did, did someone use a shower? Maybe that's why they was. Maybe they put their hand like all, all kinds of things. Like so, 
you're, you deal with, I think, a lot more, maybe because you're dealing with a lot of different people at, at any given time. So you could be dealing with um, very tidy people. You could be dealing with people that had an Airbnb before. So it's just like, uh, what are you dealing with now? So you have, to, you, have to, you have to be open to expecting anything from happening. Now, let's say I want to hire a property manager. Mm -hmm. What should I be looking for? You want to make sure that your property manager understands that their time is not their time is not their own. That it's going to be the property. When that call ha call comes in at one o'clock in the morning, they have to be able to answer it. You know, it doesn't matter if their baby is sleeping right next to them. They gotta they gotta answer the call because you don't know what you don't know what situation if it's life or death situation. Someone's trying to get into there. Someone's dying. You you just don't know. Um, even if say the property manager goes on vacation they should be informing you and letting you know those are the kind of things that they should say like hey if I go on vacation I'll give you three weeks notice um, you know or I'll be reachable through these methods they already should be able to address all the problems that you would face being the owner and that you have concerns about saying like ah oh, yeah okay they address that okay they address that okay they already have a list of all the people I contact plumbers electricians at any given time it shouldn't be oh I gotta look in the yellow pages well, I sound old when I say that, right? <laughs> but I have to go Google and 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 and, and look for it. They, they should already have that jotted down. All all those things based on your property criteria, because everyone's property criteria is different. If your criteria, if your property is fully electric, you don't need a um, you don't need a, a, a plumber that does gas or oil. You don't you you need an electrician, a plumber, and 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 maybe an HVAC guy. But if you say your property didn't have HVAC. You don't need an HVAC guy, so they, they should have an idea like based on your property, this, 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 this. They, like they should be able to do a walk through your entire property and say, this is what I can do for you. And how would they manage the, the, the collection of the money? How would they? Is so that something you, you do or do so you put it in? It, it depends. Airbnb, the, the, the money doesn't pass through the property manager's hands. It passes through online, so that, that the, the property manager would have no control of that unless you're dealing with um, personal rentals that they're doing like um, so I, I would do like certain personal rentals with someone say hey I want to I want to rent your place and it would be outside of Airbnb say they rented it before and they said you know what? I don't want to pay Airbnb the rate but I want to pay I want to stay there for a month I want to pay you a thousand dollars you could there's ways to incorporate technology where you don't even have to have the property manager involved like I run all my businesses through QuickBooks online and I send them links send out a link I, there's no there's no having to hand-to-hand -hand transactions needed. Technology has helped us. Has helped us with um, technology has helped us limit the hand-to-hand -hand transactions. Right. But it's also it's also made it better for um, managing something remotely. Right. So right, it's, it's 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 guaranteed things be easier for you. Like I I'm I'm a big end user of a lot of different items. Yeah, so technology is what's giving us um the ability where you don't have to do the, the, the hand to hand. You don't have to do you don't have to get involved. Like even with some of my tenants um in Pennsylvania, they they have bank account number. Deposit or rent. They they can't say it's late if you deposit it on, on a late day like Oh, you know, you know it's late because I know when you deposited it. Yeah. So if you got a late fee, it's because you deposited on a late day. Mm -hmm. And then, like with QuickBooks now, it, it, it applies late fees. So it's like, all right, well, you've seen it at least when the late fees are. You, you know, I give you a grace the first, you know, a couple times, but after that, late fees are hitting, hitting, hitting. You know, I, I, I had one tenant that every month they were late. In about a year, they probably paid about maybe. A, a quarter of a, of, of a year's rent in late fees. I'm just like, 
what's the problem? What's going on? And and they would they reason me like, all right, well, I, I, I'll, I'll waive the way fees because I'm understandable. I don't. My my premise as a landlord is not to rotate out people out of my place. It is to have long-standing tenants and to make sure that you are happy and comfortable in the space that you were that you want to live. And and it's a it's a symbiotic relationship, and it should be treated as such. Um, where you're giving the best support, just like in Airbnb, is a symbiotic relationship. If that person is not happy in your Airbnb, you need to give them back their money. No matter how pressed you are for that money, you need to give them back their money or you need to refund them in some way. That relationship goes a long way, whether it be your review or just, you know, your character. Yeah, I could sleep at night and say I didn't I didn't screw anybody over. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'll give you an example because we, we had an issue with one of our Airbnb. It was a piping issue. And it was something that we were not familiar with. And the person came in and there was no hot water. And we didn't know what was going on. Um, we called the vendors out, which is the plumber. The plumber came to realize the way the piping system was installed was installed incorrectly. So we had to pull that out. It cost us a lot more than, than we had the people in there. Mm. Right? It cost about 1500 for that way we could do the repairs and have, it, have the piping system done correctly. Mm. Yes, they short, they, they cut corners, and we understand why they cut corners, because they probably were trying to save, but at the same token, it, by us taking over, we fell into that, mm -hmm. you know, so now we had to uh, get the plumbers out, fix it correctly, but then we turned around and we refunded the whole thing, because it's unfair to that person, they took time out, right, mm -hmm. from whatever activities they had going on, because when people don't realize it, they, when someone books your place or even rents your place for that short period of time, they're still traveling and they have travel plans. They have plans to sightsee, they have plans to do certain activities and by you not fulfilling your end of the agreement, which is having a facility that is functional and working, then they just missed out on a vacation or whatever they had planned and they got to reroute and, and change everything around. So. I agree with you. The best thing is to do when that happens is to refund the person and then sleep comfortably. And it doesn't matter how much you lose out on, but you gain more in character, you gain more in a possibly a good review. Because we had a situation similar where we um, did an Airbnb and things didn't work out and the person in, in return refunded us a whole day and actually allowed us to stay an extra day. So. You know, when you see that that turnaround, mm -hmm. you know, you do it for one, the other person do it for you. Mm -hmm. It's like a, you know, <laughs> that effect. Yeah. But it really helps out, and um, and it's true to what you're saying, true to your testimony. It's a good thing to just just be a standard person. So I definitely like that. Now, what, now let's let's transition back to the bar, right? Now, what is the potential growth of this establishment? How do you think it can scale? Because you're familiar with one thing, yeah. right? And we talk about analytics, about knowing your numbers. Mm -hmm. When you did your numbers, what are your projection? What is the, the growth that you think this, the, or the potential this establishment can do or make? Best case scenarios were was that this this business, um, as small as it is, could could gross before you pay any bill. Let's put that out there. Before you pay any bills, 
before you put that one dollar is 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 moved over on the accounting line because I took some accounting. Um, it has a potential to gross between three to four million dollars before you potential. How do you get yearly. it yearly? Okay. How you get there? That's another story altogether. So really, that that that, that that's not going to be easy road to get. To get to How that did you come up with that number based off your analytics? I got that number off of a lot of like I explained to you before utilizing um, public resources like the public library they have a, a business part of the library that you get able to go to Statistica and you're able to get different um, demographics of the household income of, of the local area how often they go and eat out um, how what's the average spend um, those numbers is what gave, is what brought me to that, that, po that possibility because you know the average the average date it's between about a hundred to hundred fifty dollars, um, based on how many seats you have and your rotation time of ninety minutes a table. You you roughly could see maybe anywhere from you know four to ten thousand dollars in a day, depending on how many hours you're open and your um, your depending on how many hours you're open and your um, your specials. You know like uh, you know like brunch. People love brunch. Mm -hmm. If you if you if you conduct brunch in the proper fashion, you are able to pull down a few thousand dollars in a couple of hours just by offering you know champagne bottles not champagne though but I mean but a champagne bottomless brunch. It's very profitable for some businesses depending on what kind of uh, champagne they get. There are champagne bottles that cost six dollars and they're selling that same bottle for a hundred fifty dollars. So that market is market is crazy. So. You know, the, from you know, in the city when people had the mega bottles, those mega bottles, you know, make cost you know twenty twenty five dollars and or, or fifty dollars, and they're charging one hundred fifty dollars, two hundred dollars. So that markup is what gets people to those higher numbers where you could say like, oh, they did three million dollars in a year. Wow, how did they do that? Because they're doing a lot of markup. Right, right. Or they're doing um, a lot of people are doing city contracts that people are unaware of. Businesses like this could do food for school lunches they could do catering events off-site locations if a lot of say a lot of restaurants open from uh, bars and restaurants open from um, five to about two three in the morning because new york can go to four depending on your um your area or your location if you're in a commercial zone or not um between the hours of 9 a.m to when you open at 5 p.m you could probably do city lunches you could bring in the, the kitchen staff and maybe produce anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand dollars worth of food that would just go out in trays that would feed people for catering events, schools, PTAs, um, corporate events. Those are those, that's like the untold truth of offsetting a business where you're pivoting and you're you're multi-stream within the business. Mm -hmm. And most people think that it's the day-to-day -day transaction that gives the business its 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 money, but it's not. It's it's really those extra streams of income that people don't really look about or or even understand that that businesses are doing that throughout the pandemic businesses some businesses st stayed alive because they were giving out lunches to the hospitals they were contracted to do that not everyone they been oh they gave away free meals some people probably gave away free meals yes but not everybody some people got contracted thousands of dollars to give out those free meals mm -hmm. they didn't do it they, you can't you can't give out something free for a, a long period of time without being compensated food is more expensive now than it was during the pandemic yeah, but, but, but even then 
you know, you're talking about giving out a thousand meals a day or a thousand meals a week. That cost that you know that you're talking about that might cost maybe three, four, five thousand dollars. Who's who's offsetting that 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 line item? Because your accountant's gonna look at you like you're crazy. Like mm-hmm. you you gave away what? <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. how did you offset it? Right. And most of the time, they a lot of people got contracted to do it. So people don't realize that you could do business with the government, you could do business with the city, the state, and those could offset certain things in your business that what you won't have to think about. You, you just kind of work hard, get the, make the relationships, find the contracts, for, uh, fulfill the contracts, and go to the next one. And that and that kind of puts your business on like cruise control, where you know. You could say, all right, well, we're locked in at, you know, say $10,000 a month because those contracts are coming in. And you could work on everything else where you're saying, all right, well, since that's locked in, then now we're able to say, say our expenses are, we have to cover a $20,000 threshold. $10,000 coming from the contracts, all right, we need to cover another $10,000 in sales to make, make that make sense. You know, so that's what... That, that, that's one of the things that led me to my numbers to figure out city contracts and, and figure out how to pivot the business and doing outside catering that people want every day. There's people that, that rent event halls and they just want somebody to make the food for them because as we get older, as time goes by, people are straying away from the times when, you know, the big cookout is being done by, your, uh, you know, um, your grandmother, your mother. Right, right, they, right, they don't right. want to do that. They don't want to get their hands dirty. They, mm. they, 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 they don't, they don't want to do that. They, yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. slaving behind yeah, the kitchen yeah, yeah. anymore. As my girl would say, we're out of the kitchen. We, we in the ballroom now. Like, we ain't, no, you go back there, okay? If you want that food, you better go, you better warm it up. Yeah. And it's also convenience, too, because if, if I can gather the people, focus on one thing, and don't have to worry about the food, it just makes the process seamless. It's like, all right, they got this. Let me just take care of that in one, two, three. And it's like his part is clean up. Clean up. Yeah, nobody wants clean up. It's like, it's like I have friends who's just like, oh, they have a house party. I'm like, okay, great. And I'm already like, all right, so the house party is supposed to end at 10. We need to get out of here by 9. Right, right, because they're going to rope me in for the cleanup. Let me get out of here. <laughs> so you got a game plan. Yeah, you got to. You got to. Through business, any business you start, at the same time you're having an entry strategy, you need to have an exit strategy. Absolutely. You need a you need a mirror. It needs to happen like entry exit. It needs to be it needs to be right next to each other because you cannot go into any business without having an exit. And the your exit is just as important as your as your entry. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just think I'm just gonna get into it. And it's like, but what about your exit? You know, you you built this you built this corporation and made this cup. If someone gave you a billion dollars for you, are you not going to say, well, I never thought about that. You need to think about that as you start your business or as you start to scale. Because those kind of situations come where you produce something, you made something that someone else couldn't. They're willing, people buy that. They, that's a gem that people say they, they see value in, in its further growth. You know, like the person who made this kind of cup, they may say, like, this is going to work for bars and restaurants. Let me buy that idea from you and then let's and go for it. But you, you didn't realize, maybe didn't realize how to scale it. Yeah, that's true too. But some people, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because you have, uh, from one end, for what you, you just explained, is that you may have someone that's the creator and have the idea and they have the exit plan ready to sell just in case. Like I had uh, Al, Al Amin, he created Pavement and he thought in you know, about two years uh, when, let's say, Walmart comes in, he was going to be bought out, right? And he had the game plan in mind. There's some people that have the exit plan and are ready to 
uh, ready to have an exit process and say, all right, uh, if it grows to this much and I can accumulate about this, I'm willing to sell at this number. Because mm-hmm. some people have their numbers already in their head, right? Mm-hmm. But then you, there are other people that say, you know what, I can actually grow this to become a Walmart where I can pass it down generation to generation mm-hmm. to generation. So there are, you have to have an exit plan just in case because you have to understand your product and your business model. Is it your business model and your product is a type that's scalable where it could go to generations? Or is this something that you know is, is probably going to be good for about a decade or two, right? I'm not saying... I'm not saying to sell yourself short, but you have to be realistic on the type of product that you're selling. How long can you do it with the right team? Can you expand it? But there's a, there's a cap growth to say, okay, with this type of business, this is probably the level I can see it going. I'm not saying it can't go further, but that's what you're seeing and you're willing to say, all right, if somebody come out with this number, I'm, re- I'm ready to sell. But then there are those that say, no, this, this has a potential growth to have generational wealth. Like the next generation, the generation after that can, can hold on to it. Like my sons and their sons and their grandchildren, things like that, can, can actually uh, run this company. So there's two uh, frame of thoughts here, and it's, it depends on your paradigm, like which one you're looking at. And I agree, you have to have an exit plan, but you also have to have your exit plan based off the business model that you have and the type of product that you have but if it's something that you feel that it can be like an amazon of course i mean yeah you're right your cost benefit analysis has to be on point and it's going to constantly change um um it's it's definitely it's definitely something i i i i think about all the time i i think about it you're like excellent when it comes to like numbers so you have a a basic framework (laughs) all right of what it is what the expectation should be. No, I'm not excellent, but I, 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 I try to keep myself um, updated with the numbers and how it should be. And there's always, there's always, I always second guess myself sometimes when, it, when I'm thinking like, either this can't be this good or it can't be this bad. So even though you have the numbers, you really just have to constantly tweak it, constantly figure out, okay, well, all right, this this benefit is gonna outweigh this, but how does it work? How does it affect us? How does it how does it change the numbers? How does it how does it do, is it gonna do for us? Should we increase marketing? When we did increase marketing, how did it affect our sales that month? You you you, you every there's so many different levers that you could pull, but it's like what affected what directly? Right. So and can one person manage that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, one person can't manage that and just like we had conversations before about you know like <clears throat> at the restaurant is are you on the floor or are you in the office you can't be in both yeah. you, you, the person that's in the office has to have some hands down on the floor to feel the temperature to know what people uh, what people like what they didn't like you have to have the finger on the pulse if you don't have a finger on the pulse there's going to be a disconnection and people that on the floor and people in the office are going to have a disconnect because always someone's going to always think that someone is not pulling their weight because even in property management the people that's in the office same thing with people in, uh, compared to people in the field there's always a disconnect like oh well 
you you're not in the fields shoveling snow and stuff, but you don't understand what we're what we're what I'm dealing with here and vice versa. But the person in the office could be just as stressed trying to deal with a hundred different calls every minute and can't use a bathroom. You know what I'm saying? While the person in the field uses the bathroom whenever they feel like it. You know, this person can't because the calls are coming in. Oh, you didn't pick up the phone. Oh, you didn't curse it. So, and still able to do your job. Both have challenging positions, but both cannot cannot reason with each other's qualms on on their day to day transaction day to day transaction people. So once you hold both, you know, positions, you're able to have a better understanding. Like, oh. All right. Well, you you go through that, so I understand, and and, and it, it is what it is. Like, oh, I came in there, and you're maybe watching a movie, or you're maybe sitting down uh, taking a nap because you probably had an acting morning, or you, or you're in the bathroom for two hours because you know you couldn't use the bathroom at all all day, you know, or you probably ate something bad. It happens. I'm glad you touched on that because I went to an entrepreneurship seminar, and uh, I, I forgot to get, I get the guy's name, but he really well it slipped my mind actually. Um, but he stated something that was very that added value to me. What he shared was the the person on the field. Okay, the admin person can go in the field, but the field person can never go into the admin. And the reason he broke it down is that that's how important the admin piece is, because if you you that person that wants to leave the admin role and wants to go out into the field and work on the field they can do that mm -hmm. but it's it's hard for a field person to go in and try to fill the slot of an admin person because the admin has to pick um, answer calls follow up with emails and do all these uh, other valuable things right that we 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 being on the field may not pay attention to right? Yeah, like writing, like simple writing. Simple writing, or looking for grants, or looking mm -hmm. for properties and things like that. So it's easier to funnel through this way from admin to uh, field than it is from funneling it from uh, from the field into the admin. Yeah, I never thought about that because when I first started, um, I was doing construction with the family in you know in the field, but not in the field as much as um, when I first got hired by my um, cousins to do um, uh, doing office work, pushing papers, filing papers, taking rents, depositing them, and I you know that's what I did for about six months, and I and I had just graduated high school and I was doing I was doing that. Um, and then I eventually uh, upgraded to going out in the field. And when I when I understood the, the office stuff and I was in the field, it was just like, okay, you're X Y Z tenant, okay. And I already know like you 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 owe X Y Z, okay. This is what it, okay. Like things start to like light up. Where it's like, all right, well now I understand why we did this or why you're in court or vice versa. Like uh, cool. That's what he said. You can you can go from admin to the field, but. The field can never go into admin. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of different things to learn in the office. Because who's going to do the process of the loans or the process of uh, all these things that are going on? Yeah. So you have to have somebody that knows it and, and knows how to manage it. Yeah. So I mean, also I, I tell a lot of people, you know, from the lawyer to the accountant to the um, to the advisors, everyone's not nice. <laughs> you know, they, they they tell you like they, they're they're more type A than anything else. They tell you what it is. Like this is what you have to do. There's no, yeah, yeah. And, and, and a lot of people don't appreciate the straightforwardness, yeah. but, but it's like, okay, well, if you deal with the accountant, you're going to tell the accountant, going to tell you just like it is. He's not going to be like, oh, well, you could do this, but no, there's going to be 
you don't do this, and you're going to end up in jail. You don't do this, you're going to get fined. You touched on the lawyer. Let's go back a second. Mm -hmm. So when you got the liquor license, okay. what did you have to go through? Um, I'm pretty sure you had to get a lawyer, and you had to get a lawyer that's familiar with uh, so the we, process. So we asked around. Um, we got a lawyer that's been in the business for about, I would say, 10, 20 years. Um, he, we went to his office, said what we want to do, gave the address. He, had, he already had an idea where we were. Um, he gave us you know, full checklist on, on, on do's and don'ts and how to get it. Like zoning. And zoning, like that. all of that. He, he explained everything in, in, in complete detail. Um, I think even more detail than most lawyers that, I, that I've encountered all my years of doing anything. Um, so he was able, you know, but he's doing it so long. So he's just running it down this mile a minute. And he's just like, okay, okay did I get all that? And then he's like, don't worry. The secretary has it all in the list. All right, cool. Pay them their, their money. You look at the bill, you're like, wow. They get paid that much? I need to go back to school. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But, you know. You see where it's being spent because at every step of the road, I didn't have a I didn't have a doubt that we would get the license because they had a they had an answer for every time. Yeah, they had a roadmap. Yeah, they had a roadmap. Mm -hmm. what, it, what it is. And we stuck to we we listened to the team. They were just like, "You're really good at following the directions." Like, yeah, because I don't need this to mess up. <laughs> right. So now, what would you recommend? Would you recommend speaking with a lawyer first, or do you recommend getting the architect involved first? Like. So you're going to need the architect. The architect should be your first stop because in the process of getting the liquor license, it's going to be, you're going to need floor plans. You're going to need, and that's what the lawyer is going to need. But if you have that or you have some general idea of what the place is going to look like and how it's set up, it makes it easier for the liquor lawyer to be like, okay, well, now I can submit this with this person. I can submit that. It's, it's, it's a lot easier to go apart because it's a part of the whole process pictures floor plans um what's dob certified what's not dob certified <clears throat> and with the architect i mean with the with the lawyer based off the architect architectural blueprint are they able to tell you if that's coded coded or not like will the architect be able to put it in within the blueprint if this if this property needs to be up to code, will they know? Yeah, the architect will okay. know. The, the architect will know what would fly in terms of emergency services and um, and what's needed because the liquor license and all that stuff like that. They're not going to supersede DOB because DOB is going to want it a particular way, and and they're not going to say, well, you know, DOB wants it this way, but the SLA, the liquor authority, wants it another way. They're not going to supersede them because they know that's not their purview. So. You, you'll, you'll eventually find out that certain purviews, people don't, they don't venture on a different lane at all. They're not going to say, oh, well, you're supposed to be, oh, it passed DOB certification. Right. All right, cool. Yeah, that's we're, 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 we're happy because DOB talks to people in terms of like occupancy and how, and how that works because they, they, they revert to them. Like, all right, well, DOB says your occupancy is 72. All right, well, 72 is what it is, you know? Okay, good. Hey, man, it's, it's been a pleasure. I think you answered most of my questions, but I know there's some questions in the back. Uh, people would like to ask you so um, let's get into that but thank you for answering most of my questions <laughs> and I just think of certain things that I know the viewers would probably want to know because that's something I would want to know and and I'm glad that you were able to educate me on it and um, to gain some some knowledge on you know what steps to do if I ever do decide to pursue in that in that career or that industry so I just want to say I appreciate that um, but there was a question that you had what, what was it yeah, you mentioned earlier about the uh, Airbnb that you uh, that you purchased the condo. 
and you rented it out as an Airbnb and found out that you couldn't rent it out for anyone that was less than 30 days. So it has to revamp the whole idea of you doing your Airbnb. Uh, just curious, because I do know that uh, production teams, even though it's just one apartment, production teams, if they want a long-term production in the area, they do look for long-term living for, you know, three months, six months, three months, and so on. Mm -hmm. Could you have done that and started that kind of industry? Yeah, I, I, I probably I probably could have done that because because now I would still, I would tell the production team, hey, your 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 lease is for six months, twelve months, but it, it might end earlier, and I would I would tell them like you know put another clause in it that say you could you could cancel that early because most of these most of these um condo associations they're looking for the the first page or two they're not gonna go through every single part of that the the, the contract mm -hmm. not saying you're lying to them but. You, you're, you're, you're giving a little wiggle room for them to change because things change. Like look at the, you know, what happened at that, uh, that, that film shoot the other day where the lady got shot. No one saw that happening, but you have to have an uh, uh, act of God kind of clause in the sense that you could still walk away, God forbid something did happen that was, that, that, that was un, un, you know, you didn't, uncontrollable. You had a question? Right. So, um, you have a question? John, you have a question? Okay, so that's good. Then. <laughs> Listen, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, one final thing I want to share. Oh, I want to ask you a question. I'm a skip. I'm a realist. I'm a salesman one to ten. But I have a question that I have a lot of businesses. I started doing a little bit. I started this by myself. One to ten. All the foreseen, unforeseen, COVID coming up, another COVID happening, mm -hmm. something like that coming up. How hard would it be to start a business like this? Like this or the Airbnb? Uh, or any business? Any business, I would say. Because my friend, I want to start with my business. But I'm sorry. How hard would it be? He says location, location, location. It can only be location. So I would say with us, like here, um, there were a lot of empty storefronts um, here in, in, in Bedside Fulton area. Um, the reason why this particular location worked for us because it had it was already uh, the certificate of occupancy had eating and drinking on the first and second floor, which made it we had we would have more seating than most of the other competitors in, in the in the local area and be paying way less rent than they are. So that's it's really it really depends on your numbers. COVID may, has made it harder for people to open up, but not saying you can't get it done. There's so many grants and, um, and, and programs that's willing to fund you, like even the local Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, they're giving grants to help people out. Um, Queen's Chamber of Commerce, they're, they're partnering with, with grants to, to, to help people out. If you want to start a real estate company, there's, there's grants to purchase your first property. It's just amount of paperwork. You just have to find the, the, the people that um, know what they're doing and, and sift through. You're going to find people that don't know what they're doing and still, you know, get paid for, for not doing nothing. But there are people that have success stories and saying, hey, pay them a couple hundred dollars or thousand dollars and they'll grant right for you. They, they would find the necessary um, paperwork needed. So I would say is to figure out what business you want to you wanna, um, put together, like your friend. Um, write it down on paper flush through all the ideas, the competition, the pricing, all, all that stuff, and then get it over to a, um, a business specialist in a sense 
to figure out who do you need to go to. Are you going to the bank? Are you going to SBA? Are you going to um, private lenders? And then go from there. Uh, are you self-funding? And if you are self-funding, what could you afford? Yes, location, location, location. But can you partner with another restaurant or another person that wants to the restaurant and share a space where maybe their restaurant's from um, 8 a.m. to 4 and yours is from 4 to 8 or 4 to 11? There's ways, to, ways to do that. Like there's a lot. Of, like just how there's co-working spaces. There can be co-business um, spaces. You just have to. It, it, it's it's not it's not a industry standard until you make it, and then then you and then you pretty much write your own ticket. Before, go ahead. So the let me see. Do me a favor. Just talking to that mic right there. I'm watching Boris. Yeah, so um up here on this floor we had uh we had seven we we're supposed to have ten tables, right? Before COVID, we, we, we had only about six tables. Um, as you know, vaccinated laws change and now the rules have changed, as you increase the tables, you're going to eventually fill to occupancy and get to, that, get to those numbers. So yeah, across the street is 125, here's 125. You, you just have to make sure that you have to find a way to get those tables filled. Just because the table's there doesn't mean that you're going to guarantee to make that, but you have to give yourself the ability to have the potential of making it's just like reading the book and never utilizing the skills that the book gave you. Mm -hmm. I always ask the So, in mo most instances, a lot of restaurants I've seen they they have a displayed on the table. Ninety minutes, you have to get up. How we pretty much do it is, unless it's a very unless it's busy. We really don't push you. We don't really ask for you that you've you've reached your time, only because it it, it doesn't make it sense to like move you if we don't have another person. But if we had like reservation service, then yeah, you have to you know move for the next reservation. But, but I've been at other restaurants where they they tell you in advance, hey, mm -hmm. unfortunately I got a reservation during this time, mm -hmm. so you only have between an hour. Is that okay? Or maybe thirty minutes to forty minutes? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. And nine out of ten times we always say yes because we understand that all right, there's there's a reservation coming in. Let's just get our food, and if we do decide to stay, we can get our drinks or something and mingle. Uh, yeah, yes, and, and that's what we try to offer that as much. Like, okay, the table of two, we can put you by the bar. We can figure out some some way. It's, it's always the customer's always right, but you have to figure out a happy medium between them being right and want still want to patronize your business, and you trying to figure out how best to accommodate. Yeah. And the and the other good thing about it is that. Um, I've I've been places where they they drop the receipt or they drop the, um, the check and they say you know take your time but normally when that check comes you know all right it's time it's time to go right um, and it's not until you just and you may want something else but then after the check comes you may request something else but that check when it comes on the table and they always say take your time to me that's the kind of like in the window here like okay it's time for last lap last lap yeah exactly but now uh, just before i'm going to ask you a follow-up question but i just wanted to know too the the, the extension outside 
on the streets. Mm-hmm. We we talked about that. You know, a lot of you were saying how in the city they were pricing it at a certain number, and then now because of COVID, they're allowing people the opportunity to keep it. What was the numbers in the city, and what's the what's the reason why? I mean. What's the reason behind, not just the COVID, what's the reason behind them allowing you not to pay for the extension? So, how I understood the numbers before was, um, because most of these outdoor dinings before were really small, like really, really small. Um, they would cost anywhere from five to $20,000 because you needed to have an architect, you needed to get DOB certified. It was a big, long process that some people took, and it just it didn't make sense for some places to have, but some people did do it. Um, COVID has caused where people couldn't go inside. Remember those first like three, four months? Mm-hmm. Couldn't go inside, so outdoor dining made sense. Uh, it's to take that away from businesses that still don't have a function inside would d- dramatically reduce that business's output overnight because now they're they're converting the inside to be takeout only, just push you know like more t- tabletop warmers, more more prepping to get the food in the bag and getting it out, they, where they didn't have to experience that before like. Our first floor was designed to be about 30, 30 people on, 34 people on, on, on that first floor. Tables and chairs everywhere, seats everywhere. But we have a, a, about a quarter of that floor designated for just takeout because it, it doesn't make sense to have seating there and we still have to do more takeout sometimes than, than, than seating inside. Like the bags, so you have plastic bags, the forks. The, the spoons, the water boxes. It's not something that was factored into the business plan when we first started, because if it was, we would have changed some things, we would have made the kitchen a little different, but as COVID has brought, it brought us a new, it, it, it put us on our back heel, where we had, now we have to pivot. We have to change direction. Um, not saying that, not saying that, that this change will go back to what it used to be, but this, is, this might be the new norm where every kitchen has to be prepared to have an extra part just for takeout or takeout prepping area in their new business plan as your friend might, might want to do. is like, that's a guarantee. Maybe you need to have a, uh, a takeout window. So if they ever did shut things down again, he can still operate and he can just not have to open up his door, but he, can open, he has a little window. Mm-hmm. Have a, uh, there's a business a couple doors down. That's what they did. They added a little takeout window just in case. They just have to just open the window, give Slide you food. food. You know, yeah. it's just like a corner store. The corner store designed the little drive-through window. Mm-hmm. You know, at late at night, they didn't, they were afraid of being robbed or vandalized and stuff. So they made a little takeout on it. They still made my hey, I wanna, this. I wanna, um, you know, sour power. I want this. I want that. You can still get it late night. It's just you're not gonna be sitting around in the store, walking around and doing and, and doing anything wrong. In the story, they have the strip over in Dipmars Avenue and. All the windows were, I don't know if it was designed after COVID or maybe it was there and we just didn't pay attention to it. But now they have this open, this open window policy where you could just walk up and just place the order there, get your drinks and then go. Now it could have been something that was uh, invented after COVID, but that, that process alone is a lot feasible for you to just walk up. If I'm outside, and of course it has to be a nice day but if i'm outside and i don't want to go inside and i just want to purchase a drink and stand out then it's a lot easier for me than having to go outside and i'm pretty sure it's more conducive to those that don't have the vaccinations and they don't have to go inside they could just stay outside and then 
or did they drink? Yeah, most, I mean, most definitely. New York really had to take a lot of ideas and rules from other places because, you know, when you go to, like, Miami and certain things, you could, or you go to Vegas, you could walk with the drink on the strip and certain things like that. People ordering through windows. It's just the the rules have been so strict here in New York in certain parts of the country that that's what it was for the last 30, 40 years. So this 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 um disease has flipped the whole every industry on its head where they have to rethink everything because it's it's more of a okay we want to keep people safe we don't want you know loitering we don't want public indecency like like you want to you know shy away from it but how do we keep businesses intact because without the businesses you know you have a is a broken windows theory you know, you'll have businesses boarded up, areas looking deplorable, and and that's not going to help. You know, anything will be worse than than public indecency. It'll be like, okay, well, now we we starved this business on this trip. This this trip is now dead. Now it now there are um, zombies or like they, they, you know like people are take other 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 people that didn't that they didn't want in that space have taken over that area, and 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 it's and it's either is a cause and effect for everything. Yeah, yeah. You, you know? think we're gonna go back? Not, I don't think, I, I would say in about five to ten years, we would probably, we would start to go back in that direction, but. I'm not talking about as far as New York City being uh, to its potential, I'm referring to more as New York City reverting back to its no drinking policy on the streets and no, you know, outdoor hangouts. I, I think the numbers is, one, is what's going to affect New York's future. What they're gonna they're gonna take all the numbers of public indecency, um, drunkenness, um, pissing on the street, lewdness. They're gonna take that into consideration. Three one complaints, nine one complaints, and they're gonna say, well, what transpired during this time? And someone could make the argument that this should stay or this should revert back. And those are what's gonna is what's gonna um, drive policy, because the numbers is what really drive policy. And someone could argue, well, they didn't do anything. No one got locked up. No one did. So. Why are we? Why, why, why stop it now? And then, like I said, cause and effect. If you if you do something else, you might affect you might affect you know um, something from happening or business from doing something. That's correct. I think. So. Oh, <laughs> listen. If you had to, give, this is the final one. If you had to give a um, an honest uh, honest feedback to someone that's coming up and trying to establish themselves as a serial entrepreneur. Like what was what would be a good advice to share? That's gonna for somebody that inspiring to be someone like you. Whew, that's that's a tough one. Uh, what advice I would give? I mean, you have to you have to wake up every day knowing that you're going to accomplish your goals. You have to say, okay, wake up and. Start your day and figure out, you know, what the challenges you're going to be dealing with today and how to get past those goals. I mean, get past those challenges um, because that's what's going to get you to the next level. Always carry yourself with respect and treat others with respect and try to be as professional as possible. Even if you're late to the meeting, you know, try to make or try to try to figure out, okay, why was I late? All right, I was late because I got on the bus late or I took a shower late or I didn't brush my teeth or I didn't make out my clothes make up my clothes in time or I didn't iron the night before. Do do the things to improve day by day. You don't have to make drastic changes to to be successful. 
You just have to make a, a, just, a little, a, just a little change day by day, day by day. It will build up into something bigger and bigger. You just have to let the, trust the process of that chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. Because when you trust the process, it, 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 it's going to pay off. It's just like when people you know, first started and they were getting pensions. They got, they got in at 18 and it was like 20 and out. They, they, they so, saved up a lot. They went into work every day. They collected the pension, collected the pension. You know, when they were able to, when, when 20 years after that, they're 38, they could retire, but they're not at a retirement age. They could go and get another job and get another pension and boom, put another 20 and out or 25 and out. Now they're 48, 50, and they still can't retire again. They, they, they go back and work, you know? So I would say just constantly try to improve yourself day by day and it will pay off for itself. Same thing with the credit. You figure out a way to um, pay their bill as much as possible, not the minimum amount, but just pay more and more. Maybe don't go to the club that, that, that weekend. Maybe, maybe you might forego, you know, giving yourself a Christmas present or, or, or buying Christmas presents with somebody. You know, don't say not your girl, but I mean, but, but I'm just saying like, but, uh, I'm just saying like, you need to find certain ways to get, to get ahead you know, as legal as possible. Because some people will say, ah, oh, well, the only way I can do it is illegal. No, there's, there's, legal, uh, there's, legal, uh, there's le legal ways of doing everything. It's just, it's just constantly chipping away, constantly chipping away. Because if your credit is $11,000 a month and you know your credit card, you know that your um, bill is $200 and 90% and of that $200 is going to interest, then find a way to pay 210 215 and keep chopping away like oh you got to walk to work then walk to work so you could you could pay more on that it's gonna it's gonna pay off but you just gotta, you just gotta keep working at it constant constantly working it, at it. thank you so much thank bro. you for having me because thank you it's, it's been a hectic day we got the yelling the screaming now the football games on hopefully hopefully they're winning because yeah. <laughs> i'll be really upset yeah. listen where, where can they reach you if they need to get in contact uh you can reach me at uh carpe dmd uh carpe underscore dm underscore d uh you could also reach me at uh ib purpose underscore bk um we're here at 1489 Fulton Street in Brooklyn, uh, zip code 11216. <laughs> um, uh, we, we could, you could get orders. You can order from us on our website. You can order from us on Uber Eats, Grubhub. Uh, you can also call 718-734-1489. And uh, I really appreciate you coming down and taking your time out of this Saturday to, you know, give this interview because... We need to do more like more things like this. Absolutely, man. I actually had an amazing time. This is this is off topic right now. We had such a interesting morning, and he's been so wonderful about it. And we had we got an opportunity to really catch up as we were setting up, and we probably talked for about an hour prior to this. Yes. And it was just one interesting conversation after the next, and it was just so it, it was just such a blessing to be able to like take in a lot of that knowledge and take in a lot of the things that he experienced and then for us to go back and forth on certain ideas that we think will probably work and uh, we, we don't know if it's true but we just try to experiment with thoughts by saying well it could work this way it could work that way but it was a pl pleasure being here because we got the opportunity to um, really chat before we really got here and it was about an hour conversation i just want to say thank you for being such a good host um bringing out the amazing drinks here and um that's pretty much it thank you everyone we had an awesome time
And one final thing for Donnell, um, for purpose, don't forget Fulton Avenue, downtown. This is downtown Brooklyn, isn't it? No, so that's that's not, that's not Brooklyn. All right. Come by, enjoy. The food is great, the drinks, the atmosphere. And thank you for tuning in.